Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world it didn't sense. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the mountains? Go ahead. Make my day. Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Black Hole Cinema, uh, a new voice for you in the hosting chair this week. My name's Dan Taylor and also a new guest on the show as well. Joining us all the way from High Wycombe, we have Leslie Byron-Pitt. Hello, Leslie. Hey, how you doing? You all right? Yeah, not too bad. Am I right in thinking we can find you on Twitter at Afrofilm Reviewer? Is that right? It's Afrofilm Reviewer, yes, indeed. Yeah, um, yeah that's where I usually just... Um, bitch and moan about um, <laughs> about films, <laughs> politics and life um, but, and it's also the um, name of my my blog as well so yeah you can find me there. Lovely and as always the man in the chair the voice from the black hole Mr Tony Black. Hello isn't he, isn't he, isn't he good Dan isn't he a good host and I, I must say I must say this I've just found out the most random coincidence in terms of Leslie because I know Leslie through Letterboxd, which, you know, most of you listening are probably listening from Letterboxd, but... And I love the fact that Leslie knows me through being recommended by one of my best friends who lives in the same city as. <laughs> it's just... I had no idea about this. So, Adam Massingham, if you're listening, you cheeky monkey, you're a legend. Uh, I, him, uh, um, I think we were watching um, the Real Madrid game last... Um, when they were in the Champions League last mm. um, Last year, and that's that's how I, I got um, invited by my mate Ollie, and that's how I met him. So, Brilliant! Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> it's just, it really is a small world. <laughs> so that's a nice little tidbit. But yes, hello everybody. So we've got the usual reviews coming up for you, and the box office top ten. Tony, what films have we got in store this week? We have four films today. We've got Ex Machina, which is Alex Garland's directorial debut. We, which we'll all be talking about. Then we have Whiplash, which is Damien Chazelle's second feature, which is taking everyone by storm. Following that, I'm going to utterly, mercilessly destroy Mordecai because it's <laughs> crap. Anyway, I'll get to that later. <laughs> you, you, you didn't even leave it to like, any, you know, didn't leave it yeah. to any suggestion. Just yeah, it's going to be. Horrendous, horrendous beatdown. I'm, I'm just... Spoiler, it's crap. It's mainly because um, we're going to review it later in the podcast and I want you to keep listening. Okay, so that's why I've dropped that in now. 
And then finally, uh, Leslie is going to uh, talk about uh, a most violent year, which myself and Dan haven't seen to our utter shame yet. Um, so we'll get started straight away with X Machina. So how does a programmer get to be meeting the CEO? I won a competition. The president can't get Mr. Garrick on the phone. You got the golden ticket. It's good to meet you, Nathan. It's good to meet you too, Caleb. Can we just get past the whole employer-employee thing? Cheers. In many ways, this building isn't a house. It's a research facility. I want to talk to you about the greatest scientific event in the history of man. Are you building an AI? Hello. Hi. I've never met anyone new before. Have you? None like you. Tony mentioned um, Ex Machina is Alex Garland's directorial debut. He is known for writing Never Let Me Go, Dread back in 2012, um, and earlier on, uh, 28 Days Later as well, which was way, way back in 2002. I kind of remember that one. Wow. Today. I, I always find, think it's important just to remember that him as a novelist, because all his um, mm. protagonists are very similar they're all mid-twenties quite naive never sure what they're going to get into <laughs> so they're type guys but yeah yeah and that perfectly describes Caleb played by Domino Gleason, who's a 24 year old coder at the world's largest internet company he went to competition to spend the week at the private mountain retreat of uh, belonging to the reclusive CEO Nathan played by um, Oscar Isaac and um, also it's about um Basically, his work working on AIs, the world's first true artificial intelligence, named Ava, who is played by Alicia Vikander, who I believe is also in another film which was released last week, uh, Testament of Youth. So, Tony, tell mm. us about that one. I, I went into it with, with fairly high expectations because I do like Alex Garland as a writer, even though I wasn't a massive fan of Dread. And to truth be told, I wasn't a massive fan of Never Let Me Go either, but I liked what they what they did. So I was quite curious to see this, and I was very interested by the setup. So I went to see it on the day it came out with my girlfriend, who was also very very keen to see it. Yeah, and we got in there, and it was it, it was not, I suppose, quite what I expected. I'm not sure I knew what I, I what I what I was expecting. I knew it was going to be quite introspective and careful and quiet, and that then that's the film you get. It's it's very it, it very much just focuses really on this on this relationship between these two men and where the AI, Ava, comes in between them. And and quite really what it's... what um, Nathan, who's uh, Oscar Isaac's character, is trying to prove with this. And it's one of those films that really is very much about ideas as much as it is about, about character and about story. There isn't really that much story, to be honest. I mean, there's about, like, ten characters in the whole thing well, ten actors, only of which about four characters are really, you know, important to the story. So it's a very, very, very claustrophobic film. Very set in one specific place, you know, this this vast base that Nathan works out of and he's built. And it really does feel a lot of the time like you you're you're watching something that is it's almost like a philosophical debate on screen really that's being played out with with characterization and it sounds like i'm 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 knocking it and i'm not because i thought it was i thought it was a very very good film 
but it was missing something for me. And I, and even now, I still. Is it a twist? I, I don't know if it's a twist. All the, way, all, all the way through, I thought he's going to be an AI. That's what it is. He's the AI all the way through. <laughs> the That's going to be it. Like, wait, wait for the twist, wait for the twist. And then it never happened. And I was like, oh. Maybe I don't See, strangely, I, like, I, was thinking, I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> I, won't, yeah. I won't lie. I, I thought, thought maybe, yeah. I thought it's going to be really predictable. And actually, I'm kind of glad it wasn't that predictable. But at the same time, I feel like it missed something like that, like a twist or something that um, you couldn't, ex- you, you know, you weren't expecting. Even though, obviously, that, that, as I said, was something I was expecting. I think it was just kind of missing that. And it kind of went down the road I thought it would otherwise. One thing I actually really enjoyed about the movie, the setup is so, so quick. He mm. wins this... He mm. wins this contest and it's told visually as opposed to congratulations, you won a contest and lo- you know, <laughs> yeah. loads mm. of extraneous characters doing nothing for no reason. I didn't find anything to be missing from it so much. I think it kept me on edge more than enough. I just recently read a really, really um, interesting article from um, Badass Digest from uh, Film Hulk, <laughs> whoever that um, you know, pseudonym is. <laughs> and um, he talks about uh, Nightcrawler and he talks about the idea of um, not necessarily having films all to be on this sort of character arc and you know you, not everyone learns lessons at the same time and not everyone has to learn a lesson in a film or you know or it bends on, on, on certain arcs and we don't all have to follow the, sort of the, the writer's journey and um, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I really really enjoyed this um, and I think what I liked is it's this kind of modern day Frankenstein story I, and I didn't particularly need a twist so much I, I feel that you know even cliches can be done as long as they're done well can be entertaining and I, I really liked how it was slow burn I do like um, what you said um, Tony about the fact that they were they're kind of engaging in all these kind of sort of philosophy uh, philosophy and, and mm. technology talks and all these little things and you're wondering what what is this about? What what are you building to? What are you you getting to? And when it gets to the end, I actually really enjoyed it because it's a little bit like Black Mirror. Mm. It's, a li- it's a little bit dark. That's exactly what I thought. Mm. <laughs> and it, it goes a little bit dark, and you know, it, it, the answer's kind of in the name as well, uh, Ex Machina, you know, Ex Machine, um, and it gets a little bit scary. And I think that's kind of what I like about it because it does get into that sort of horrible space of well if it has a conscience if it thinks like us what will a, mach- a machine do and that's something that I've, I've really I've really engaged with I do agree I do agree with a lot of what you're saying it, it was very good I think when I say it's missing something I think the point is it and it, this is possibly the whole point actually that it didn't really necessarily make me feel a, a great deal it was it was very intelligent and it made me think but I don't know if it really got to me it did it was it was creepy it was edgy and it was saying a hell of a lot but I think I appreciated what it was what it was talking about and what the script was was getting at than than actually the emotional impact of, of the whole thing and, and that that may well be like I say the point I think that a lot of what Garland's doing really is um, he, he talks about actually in interviews about how he, this whole film was formed of a, of a years long debate with a friend about whether or not you know artificial intelligence could be de- determined and if it does mean you know consciousness exists and all, all these kind of things and that and that's why there's there's quite a lot of good like hard as hard as it can get anyway science behind a lot of this you know one of the big 
things in the, in the plot is the Turing test, um, yes. which is the very central thing of it. And there are there are other thought experiments in there. And this whole film really felt like one big thought experiment in many ways. And I'm fascinated by all that. And 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 the I, film. I agree. It gets into a lot of that. It really does get into a lot of that, and and you don't often see that in films. A lot of films don't have the bravery to just take their time and to and to really get into all that discourse. And I, I really, really like that. And I, and I like the way Garland, you know, Nathan has gone a bit mad. He has gone a bit isolationist. He's gone. He's he started to believe he, that he's a god in what he's creating, and um, that's why that's why I quite like the fact that you know Garland surrounds him by nature because there's this one scene where. Oscar Isaac is standing on top of this waterfall that's cascading behind him, talking about his creation, and you know it's this this whole idea that it, you know there's always this constant reminder of there there is a greater force at work here, mate. You know you're, what you're trying to do isn't isn't necessarily going to work, and obviously the whole morality tale of it is in this whole like chess game that seems to be happening between uh, Nathan and Caleb. There's another player. And and that's what ultimately we we get to at the end. And it, it's it's just it's very cleverly done. You know, it, it kind of touches on the whole thing of how Garland's also saying he's also said that he's interested in the idea of AI not necessarily being malevolent, and actually you know being a positive development. But I just don't know. I just I just feel like it just didn't connect with me in the way that it should have done. And that quite possibly it's the kind of film that will reward a second second viewing and will get to me then. I think I. I can see where you're coming from, and I think one of the reasons why is that's that that third player, the extra player that we're talking about, is a machine, mm. and a lot of a lot of how we feel about this, you know, stems from the fact that if we do believe she's a robot, we may not believe she has that sort of conscious or anything. We might not have any feeling to her. I think it's all about that performance and how she, you know, puts you know puts us, you know makes us feel and puts us in that uncomfortable space of how am I feeling about her you know we're supposed to see it through Gleason's eyes and I, I kind of really got I really got that I think one of the things I really like is her performance it is interesting mm. it is good mm. and it is it does sway from robotic to very very caring and sensual and mm. I think one of the things I really like is I didn't have such a like visceral reaction, but a lot of the people in the audience did mm. at certain points in time, especially near the end. And I think one of the reasons why is that I think they completely fell into it and they fell they fell in love with it. And I think I think Garland does succeed there. I do think I need to watch it again. It will reward more viewings. I think it, it is a film that potentially could be better actually when you watch it second time round, and you and you can really you know digest it properly and not. Now, like I said, I wasn't expecting a twist as much as more, perhaps, an emotional payoff. But I think, I think it is very good, and it's the kind of film that, like I say, a lot of filmmakers wouldn't have the balls to really do without throwing in an action sequence or throwing in a massive twist or throwing in, you know, oh, AI is evil. You know, it's a lot more complicated than that, which which is to its credit, really. Uh, X Machina is in cinemas at least for the next couple of weeks, but I imagine it will um, draw on in February as well. Up next, we've got a review of Whiplash. This place is nice. I really like the music that they play. Bob Ellis on the drums. <laughs> I'm part of Schaefer's top jazz orchestra. It's the best music school in the country. The key is to just relax. Don't worry about the numbers. Don't worry about what the other guys are thinking. You're here for a reason. Have fun. Five, six, and... I want to be great. And you're not. 
got Buddy Rich here. Little trouble there. You're rushing. Here we go. Five, six, and... Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. If you deliberately sabotage my band, I will fuck you like a pig. Oh, my dear God. Are you one of those single-tier people? You are a worthless pansy ass who is now weeping and slobbering all over my drum set like a nine-year-old girl. Whiplash, tell the story of the 90-year-old guy. His name's Andrew. He's played by Miles Teller. And he is first year in Schaefer um, Music School. Really wanted to succeed. Really wanted to do well. And he finds himself at the hands of his what would only consider as a monster of a teacher named um, Terence Fletcher. He's uh, this hideous ball of just rage and continuous, you know, of error checking and just a horrific person. And um, there isn't too much more to the story than that, more than it's just kind of more uh, just a battle of wills between this young guy who really wants to succeed and this, like I said again, monster standing in his way. To try and to try and trip him up at every at every corner, and you know there's, there doesn't seem to be any reason for for why Fletcher is so horrific. But we do find out a little bit more about him, a little bit more about his methods and why those methods are about. It is just a really really interesting film, which isn't really so much about jazz, but more about methods and teaching and whether that is a good or a bad thing or whether it's good to learn out of fear or whether it is better mm. to maybe learn out of, you know, bleeding liberal methods. <laughs> yeah. It is... Uh, I found it to be quite a tremendous film. I think it's mm. I think it's a really, really good film. I think um, I think Damien Chazelle has this really, really interesting textured film. It's one of these things where there's not too much going on in it as such in terms of narrative. You're not going there for a really complex plot. But in terms of how he sets up the plot, how he sets up the characters, how he sets up these relationships, how he sets up the relationships with the drums, how he sets up the relationship with with Andrew and maybe his first date, there's just a lot of mm. texture and and rhythm going on in it throughout. And of course, there's what we can only say one of the, possibly one of the, is the performance of the of the month near near the year mm. in. Um, Mm. J.K. Simmons plays this horrible, horrible person who is just attacking, attacking, attacking at every. You know, it's one of those things where if you were born of a certain age, you could probably find a teacher like him. He's amazing in this film. Mm. In this film, he is. I think he's a really, really he strong, powerful force of nature throughout and. It builds and it builds and it builds and it builds and this just tension and tension is more like a psychological thriller than it is a, mm. <laughs> than it is any like any film about jazz. Once again, I really enjoyed it. It's been a good month for movies for me. So <laughs> it's, been, it's January. January's been a fantastic month, really, because we're we're getting some of the overspill from the end of 2014 um, in America, you know, and they're in all the Oscar build-up kind of films. And I'd heard of Whiplash. A couple of months ago, and I didn't know much about it. And when, when I heard at first, when I heard it was Miles Teller, I was like, oh, because I've seen Miles Teller in in a few things, like the awful Twenty One and Over, where he played an absolute bell end for the whole film. And I was just like, oh god, he just come across as a very smug kind of guy. And I, I was, 
you know, and that's why I was very uncertain when he was cast as Mr. Fantastic in Fantastic Four, which is coming up later in the year. But I went into this, obviously hearing increasing buzz, you know, I was getting more and more excited because I, I, I was looking on, you know, Letterboxd and seeing reviews and there, w- there wasn't anything under exhilarating, you know, and it, I, it's rare you get. I mean, in fact, I, uh, I was looking on the top 100 Letterboxd films of all time and Whiplash, by virtue of, of the scores it's got over the last few months, is now in the top 100 of all time <laughs> simply by virtue of its of its rating which is remarkable it's it is it is a fabulous movie there's there's no two ways about that for a second feature by somebody i mean it's some it's it's remarkable actually that that damien chazelle has managed to create something this good in fact he's in danger of peaking really because <laughs> i don't i don't know how he's going to get quite get to this level again you know he he, he wrote this out of frustration because that he couldn't get other projects off the ground and based on his own experience, he's been in a band um, when he was younger. And then he it got a lot. He had to film a, a, a short version of the film with J.K. Simmons as Fletcher uh, and another guy playing Andrew to get funding to do the whole thing because they weren't convinced that a film about a jazz teacher psychologically destroying his you know student would be good cinema. But whoa, whoa how wrong were they? <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, it wouldn't be good cinema. I mean. Who, who, which producer comes up with that nonsense? Considering that we've seen films such as like Tape, yeah, which mm. is all situated in one room with three, with three people, well, and it, it still manages to have a certain sense of space and form. And um, I mean, this has space and form by the bucket loads. I mean, one of the things I really like about it is it's edited to mm. just perfectly. Mm. Just the way the drums hit the as I was saying that it's a really textured movie and one of the things that Chazelle does really well is insert shots and close ups mm. there's, uh, there's this one I'm, I'm a big fan of small moments in films small moments when they build up to big moments and one of the things I really enjoyed was he goes um, when Andrew goes on his first date and he goes on this date he goes on this date with this, this girl and it's a really lovely little first date and everything else like that and there's a really really small moment just at the end where her foot just touches his uh, her foot touches his and it doesn't say too mm. much it doesn't mm. say too little it's just a lovely little part but there's also the other things the other things that we see you know the drumming gets so hard so you're, you're seeing battered and bruised hands just getting sunk into ice water you're seeing you know, you know these horrible plasters just being wrapped around and, and all this all this bleeding you're seeing the sweat <laughs> and literally sweat and blood bouncing off symbols at times and it's just this you can see how it's been made cinematic it's been cinematic in that way I think when people think of cinema and, and things being cinematic they think of the vistas of Ford like you know big big grand vistas and that's the only thing and and widescreen and whatnot, but no, I think there's a. He makes it very intimate, and he's mm. really, really good at that. I think one of the things I liked about this film is all about relationships throughout mm. the relationship because Paul Reisel is in it as well as um, as Andrew's dad, and there's a, there's a relationship there, and that's going under a certain amount of pressure as well. Mm. And, and and you know, there's, there's questions of masculinity and questions of you know. And of ego more than anything mm. else it's interesting to see how this character moves along throughout the film and becomes more like his teacher mm-hmm. um, it's, it's about it's about that psychological obsession and, and this desperate need to please and that's 
that's one of the things that that drives the film. I think I think the reason that yeah, as we talked about earlier, the reason it, it it struggled to to get traction at the beginning was because you know music films, you know, jazz isn't necessarily the most popular subject in the world. Miles Teller's not a big name. J.K. Simmons is is a character actor. He joked in an interview recently that he's uh, he's he, oh he's that guy from that film. You know, it's <laughs> he's very he, until now he's very much been that guy. You know, most people probably know him as. Um, J. Jonah Jameson from the Spider-Man films, but he's, he's he's been waiting for this. This is this is his his role. This is the role that he's going to be remembered for, without question, because he's he's remarkable in this. I mean, it's it is it, a tremendous performance because he's he's just completely visceral, you know, and and he, he's he's a monster. He's a monster, however, with this kind of drive. And this is, as you say, this is what Andrew tries to become in a way, in order to prove more to himself, I think, than, than Fletcher. But Fletcher's whole methodology is that the method is more important than the, than the person. And the method, in this case, is pushing someone to the absolute limit. You know, the, the film often goes back and talks about how Charlie Parker was 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 made effectively the great jazz musician Charlie Bird Parker and there's this slightly apocryphal story which apparently isn't true that Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker when a symbol was thrown at his head and almost decapitated him by his mentor and he uses that that example as the whole idea that the more you push somebody the more you absolutely push them to breaking point the, the more genius they're going to create and he says this is great line where he says the, 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 the two most destructive words in the English language are good job because it just allows people to coast and that's the whole idea of the film he's pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and he's been absolutely horrendous to these people you know he's just psychologically destroying them he's calling them faggots he's, he's saying that they're, 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 their parents are useless he's saying that they're at, he's just he's, it's terrible you know and, he, <laughs> and the film admittedly does in the end have his methods questioned by authority because he, you know you would you couldn't get away with this as a teacher in a, in, in a normal school you know <laughs> and it's yeah. the, you know and if you did stop at, you know the whole film rushes at you like at a million you know warp speed and if you stop and analyse it there are you know you you do you would have to sort of go oh well you know does yeah. it hold together but it does because it's just a rush it is an absolute adrenaline rush the one weakness of the movie of course is when his methods are really questioned yes really under and there's also there's two moments in the film one is a, quite a tremendous set piece that so you you turn around and go would anyone pull out of that um, yeah but the other thing is is of course when the methods are, are questioned and the reason why those methods are questioned and then by the end of it it's all kind of shrugged off a little bit and it's mm. all a little bit like well hang on a minute something kind of happened here and you know tears of one person aren't really going to cut it considering but on the flip side of it by by the time you really start thinking about that you're already caught caught up in the film's ending and it's something else it's this fantastic combination of mentor and student in complete sync yeah and it's uh, it's it's really really something and i think one of the things i like about it is it's not very political it's not very you know I you know I do like the the big heavy films but there's nothing like that in here it's very lean it's very you know clear cut and very straight and to the point and amazingly focused throughout and I think that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy it it's just it turns around and goes here's an adult film and 
you know it's going to be as enjoyable as you know all these summer films and mm. and it's going to do it really well <laughs> yeah <laughs> quicker it's 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 Sorry. a it's a thrilling film it is it is a thrilling film it does a lot of it does a lot of what you know big action blockbusters can only dream of in terms of hooking you in engaging you in keeping you excited at what's going to happen next you know engaging you with the characters you you feel like you're with him all the way through when when Fletch is shouting at him you can feel it i mean there's there's four words that he repeatedly says that are absolutely terrifying which is not quite my tempo not quite my tempo when when he's when he's banging the drums and there's this amazing scene where he just he will he makes them drum the same beat for just a fraction of a second again and again and again and it goes on for five hours and he, he breaks him <laughs> down and he's like no again and he does this hand movement where he just stops you know he flicks his hand up like after like about three flicks his hand up and goes nope again 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 and it's just it is just you're just sitting there and by the time like you say the climax comes the ending it is it is just I, I well basically I, I i left the cinema and i immediately found the the, the uh, soundtrack on on spotify and i just danced my way home basically <laughs> because it leaves you on such a high that you're buzzing from it. It, it is it, apart from maybe getting a little bit too much into Fletcher's psychology, which, which I thought brought it down, and the, the fact that if you do stop and analyse it, it wouldn't necessarily all make complete sense. It is, it is a fantastic film, and it, and it, it does deserve to be up there vying for Oscars. It won't win Best Picture, but I think it deserves to be nominated. Um, so we said last week that actually we'd quite like Edward Norton to win because obviously he's, he's alongside J.K. Simmons in, in Best Supporting Actor. But obviously, from what you've kind of been saying, this is kind of Simmons' performance of his career. I've changed my mind, Dan. Now yeah. uh, it's Would it's it Simmons. Be a Miss Justice if it's win it? yeah, it's Simmons for me now. Great as Edward Norton was, if if Simmons doesn't win this, it is genuinely a massive injustice because he that you you may not see a better performance this year. And and if that if that performance doesn't go down. In, in cinematic history then I'll be surprised because it, it, it really is one of those wow wow well that sounds like that's probably going to be the one to watch this week uh, we'll be looking at the UK box office from last weekend uh, we've got four new releases this week the first two are going in at number 10 and number 9 uh, Testament Youth at number 10 having taken just over half a million in its first week We've then got Wild in number nine, which obviously is starring uh, Oscar nominee uh, Reese Witherspoon. At uh, number eight, we reviewed it a few weeks ago, Birdman. That's now there three weeks and probably will slip out of the top ten, I'd imagine, next week, unless it gets a little bit more buzz around it and, and people go and see it for that very reason. Number seven, we've just reviewed it, uh, new release Whiplash. That took just under a million pounds in its first week. Should be higher. <laughs> and it, but it, it, and it it's may not bad though. It, no, it's, it's not. Bad. It's, yeah, it's not English, bad. English box office. It may. It may get more. It may get more traction. It's possible. But then it's, it's not it's really. Surprised me that it's taken more than wild. To be fair, I have, like, yeah. that would have been the one that would take, would have taken more out of those two. Um, at number six, uh, still hanging around in its sixth week. It's Hobbit. That's one of the five armies. That's now taken uh, sixty-one million dollars to date which is an astronomical amount of money if only they would hand me that to make a film uh, <laughs> that'd be nice wouldn't it um, number five uh, it's not moved at all uh, Paddington still taking money took over a uh, million dollars this weekend or last weekend shall we say alone uh, number four we absolutely ripped it apart last week it's Into the Woods Boo. Uh, second week people 
people are still going to see Meryl Streep because there's not a lot else to see. Yeah. Number three, um, it's held its place quite well, and I'm glad it has because uh, it's absolutely brilliant. I've just watched it myself. The Theory of Everything. Hey. That one's taken nearly $20 million, and it's in there, uh, as I said, hanging in at number three for the third week. And the final new release of the week, uh, American Sniper, uh, which took nearly $4 million in the UK. I'm sorry I didn't actually put it into pounds before I did this. Um, <laughs> pretty, pretty impressive for the first week in, in, in this country. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, particularly for, for an Oscar-nominated film. When I, when I saw it, it wasn't that busy, but then I, I guess down here in Devon, we don't seem to come to the cinema. Yeah, yeah, it was... People it, in the bigger cities, but... It was quite busy in Birmingham when we saw it. No, Wolverhampton, actually. It was quite busy in Wolverhampton. It was, yeah, uh, it's done very well in America as well, from what I know. Yes. Um, yeah. It's absolutely romped home. It's been like very hard. 200 million domestic in yeah. America. Which, which, is, which is a lot for this kind of film. I think a lot of it's Bradley Cooper. You've got a lot of, you know, women who are going to, and this sounds awfully sexist, but there's probably a bit of truth in it. There's a lot of women who are going to go and want to see a buff Bradley Cooper, quite honestly. To see I this film, he was looking a bit chunky. Actually. Yeah, well, he <laughs> is. He's he's not really ripped and toned. I, re- I read a very good article this week actually about how he put that forty pounds on. A really good article, uh, something like Men's Health, about uh, how he he didn't want to become ripped because Chris Carl wasn't ripped. He was just like no. a bear. He was just a, f- a a man mountain, and and that's and that's what Cooper becomes, you know. So really, really quite dedicated. He, had, he put a lot into into becoming that big. So I think the performance is really good. It is a good performance, and I think he's you know it, it's not a bad film at all. It's not it's not amazing, um, and it's it, it's it's made more money than it probably deserved to be. And I, I'm not very keen on the politics of it, but yeah, it, it's it's a bit. It, I'm not surprised it's done well in America because it's it's quite it, it's saying things that Americans want to hear. I'm surprised it's took so much in this country as well because it is very much an American film American sniper um, yeah so for that reason I'm surprised yes but going back to what uh, what Tony said about sort of the politics there is a mm. for me perfectly when I watched the film I felt there was a very conservative look on, on it I think it was very right leaning I think the the, uh, the final ten minutes on this little bit hawkish to say the least, mm. but I, it is one of those things that only seems to come into come into it depending on who you are. You know, it's one of those things where I think Eastwood at times does try and get it on the balance of you know the balance of the knife, and then you can lean either way. But I think the nature of Kyle as a person himself kind of dominates, and you know from what it sounds like, he wasn't the nicest person. I think mm. the most important aspect of that movie no matter what anyone says for for me is the fact that after all he does his own demise unfortunately mm. um, because I, I don't wish death on anyone his own his own demise is not seen mm. it's faded out it's it's left and 
almost mythologize, you know, mythologized. He, mm. he becomes a myth. He becomes, quote unquote, the legend. Mm. And mm. I don't think there is any sort of, I don't think there's any sort of sarcastic take or, or, or sort of side look at that. I think, you know, because one of the most important aspects of it is the fact that it was a veteran that killed him. Mm. Mm. And I think that's, a, that's the most important thing. I think that's a really important thing to know. Whether, whatever your politics are, whether right or left, I don't believe films are apolitical at all. <laughs> <laughs> Quite often not. No. Unfortunately, it really doesn't kind of surprise, I guess, that Taken 3 has held oh. down its place at the top of the UK box office, um, despite being knocked off in America in its second week. It's managed to hold down nearly taking $5 million last weekend uh, in the UK, which... Yeah, it's such a shame. Come on, Britain. The only thing it's doing is taking us for a fall now. That, that, that's all it's doing. <laughs> Sorry, it just needs. So just needs to go away, <laughs> Leslie. You, you just go back a couple of podcasts and listen to my to my rant on it because it, it's just it's just rubbish. It needs to go away. I, I I wouldn't say this to Liam Neeson's face, obviously, because like he'd hit me. But it just needs to go away now. I'm, like, I made the promise um, to myself last year that when it comes to certain franchises, certain blockbuster movies, and, and certain aspects, I'm just I'm not in. I'm, just, I'm not in. I, I, I stopped with. I used to turn around and go, well, okay, well, this is Twilight, and I'm going to go into it to see. This is obviously the reaction it's get, you know, it's getting. So I need to see what the reaction is about. But unfortunately, I'm just I'm, I sat there and I'm like, this, this isn't a great, this isn't a good movie. And well, I, this is not a good book. It seems my New Year's resolution is to see these things so you guys don't have to. Quite honestly, <laughs> that is the un, unwritten podcast rule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Most of so many people, <laughs> which moves us nicely on to Mordecai. Three months ago, a Spanish museum sent a Goya painting to be cleaned. The painting has disappeared. This very bad man who wanted to fund violent worldwide revolution. Countless lives are at stake. And you would like me to find it? Precisely. What is in it for me, as they say? Do it for queen and country. No. All right, queen and country, travel and living expenses, reasonable overhead. Done. I'm Lord Charlie Mordecai. Respected by all who know me. Slightly. Excellent shot, sir! Man down! I am an art dealer and aficionado. <laughs> My wife, Joanna. My only true love. I thought I'd see how you secret agent men run the world. I'm afraid I shall have to put my foot down, darling. Sorry. With your permission, of course. Oh, God. Mordecai is directed by David Kopp. <laughs> um, it's obviously famously starring Johnny Depp as the title character alongside Gwyneth Paltrow, Ewan McGregor, and, thank God he's in it, Paul Bettany. The storyline, basically, is juggling some angry Russians. The British MI5 is impossibly leggy wife and an international terrorist, art dealer and part-time rogue, Charlie Mordecai, must traverse the globe 
Armed only with his good looks and special charm in a race to recover a stolen painting rumoured to contain the code to a lost bank account filed with, or filled rather, with Nazi gold. No. Go ahead, Tony. Well, <laughs> no. Doesn't that sound good? I think that sounds really good, that. that. I do. I think that sounds like a great film. It sounds like a bloody blast. Then you watch it. Oh. God. Okay, well, it seems like every week now there's a film that I go and see that is just the wrong choice. You know, I don't pick a most violent year. I don't pick The Gambler. I don't, you know, I go and see Mordecai, which is because I like Johnny Depp for, for my sins. Even though he seems to be systematically trying to destroy his own career, I like him. You know, I, I do like him. Right, yes, okay. Even when he's spending, you know, hours, hours and hours mugging at us in the Pirates films. Or when he's making stuff with Tim Burton that isn't as good as 25 years ago. I still like him. I still don't mind watching him. But he's pushing his luck now. He's really pushing his luck. Like Liam Neeson's pushing his luck. We're doing the Taken thing. Johnny Depp is pushing his luck by coming on and going... And within, within 10 seconds, he's going... My name's Johnny Mordecai. I am an English gentleman. I will do this voice all the way through. Darling! Ooh, rather, with that kind of weird American sort of tint to my accent all the way through. Darling! Ooh, I say. How irritating was that? You could, you could see from the poster <laughs> that he's just going, <laughs> That's it. That, 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 what I just did, which is irritating for a minute, for, for 100 minutes, that's what you get, Okay. From the off. My name's Charlie Mordecai. He's no longer walk like an old person, talk like a normal person, do facial expressions like a normal person. He's a character choice. Yes, he is. It's a a parody of himself. He's given up acting, Johnny Depp. He's just just playing pantomime now. And he he does that for, for that long. And you immediately think it's... It's weird. Sometimes there are certain films where you just immediately know it's not going to be very good. And I, I really felt that with Mordecai very early on. It's just so miscalculated. It's, it's, trying, to be, it's trying to be kind of like a, a 50s, 60s kind of caper film. A bit like an Ealing kind of comedy in a way. As somebody described it as, and I, I thought this at the time, he, he, Depp is playing him like, like Terry Thomas mixed with the 13th Duke of Wyndham from uh, The Fast Show. Right, which which has been said. Mark Kermode said that, and even though I wasn't, I wasn't. Think, I was thinking of Rowley Burke in QC, the guy in the uh, in the fast show who's in the chair going cheese. Right, but it's actually thirteenth. I'm the thirteenth Duke of Wyndham, and ooh, girls. It's a bit like Leslie Phillips esque. So he's he's that combined. He looks like, but then he looks like David Niven, you know, or in in something, and it's it's that kind of. It's kind of an anachronistic kind of thing because it's it's the kind of thing you would have seen 50 years ago in, in old English gentry, but it's been brought forward to the modern day. So, you know, Mordecai's this lord of the manor. He's got a manservant who's a gruff company who goes, yes, sir, cool, sir, I'll do that for you, sir. Imagine Parker from Thunderbirds, but, like, much more attractive and younger and who can kick ass. That's basically Paul Bettany in this film, right? And then you've got his uh, stately posh wife, Gwyneth Paltrow, who's basically a sex pot who just, you know, f- saunters around getting repulsed by his moustache. And I've never known a film so obsessed with someone's moustache. The whole film, a lot of the film is about how his moustache brings out a gag reflex. I'm not making this up, right? 
and it's just it's just like just stop focusing on his moustache you know it's, it's it's ridiculous and then so she, and she's mad she's miscast you know because she she's 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 just not very good she's just she's just not suited to play an English lady because she's not English you know it's just not that that necessarily matters but it, it does well, in the this context is, this is someone that was was it Emma? She was Emma, and she did yeah. pull that off very well. Well, that was that was written by Jane Austen. This was written <laughs> well, not not the screenplay, but this was written on the back of a napkin, I think, on a flight. <laughs> it's just actually that's that's not fair because it's actually based on a book called "Don't Point That Finger at Me," but at, at me by um, Kirill Bonfiglioli, I think his name is. And I, I was actually browsing through it in um, in Waterstones today, and it's 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 basically a novella. You know, it's like something like 120 pages long. It's a very very short book. And uh, I don't know the tone of that, but I flicked through. It, it seems to be a very similar kind of thing, you know. And it, it's it's a caper, you know. It's meant it's meant to be jolly. It's meant to be funny. It's meant to be, I say, oh, rather a bit cheeky, a bit fun, you know. In that there's car chases, there's fights, there's action sequences, there's guns going off. There's this little sneaky plot about not saying Nazi gold. There's a little bit of winks to terrorism in there. There's you know, um, Hugh McGregor, who's basically like the Lestrade to Mordecai's crap homes, you know, and he's he's like this dogged uh, inspector who's thick as, thick as two short planks, besotted by Gwyneth Paltrow's calculating lady, who's also trying to get to come to things with her own angle. You know, there's, there's mil- billionaires, there's, there's nymphomaniacs, there's, you know, there's all these different people floating around. And you put all that together, and it should be a blast, it should be a lot of fun, it should be, it should be making you laugh the only bit in the film that made me laugh because it is a graveyard of comedy you know it, I've never seen so many gags fall flat in my life the only thing that made me laugh is when um, at one point Mordecai checks into a, an American hotel which is full of hipsters and there's girls you know parading around in like you know underwear and, and, and bikinis and he goes oh, we appear to have walked on the set of a porno you know and it's just like that and then he goes to the desk and he uh, he says um, uh, uh, he's just trying to get the attention of, of the concierge and he goes, um, would you like some help with your bags? And he goes, no, I've got a fucking manservant. You know, that, that made me laugh just because it was just, uh, it, that was fun. That was one of the only things that made me laugh. And Paul Bettany, who is, he's better than this, really. I mean, he's, he's playing a character called Jock, who, who's just such a, he's basically a manservant who he's just kicks ass, basically sleeps with every woman in his path. But he does it with a, with a bit of charm and grace. And he's, he's the only likable person in it. And even though you can tell Bettany knows, I think that this is crap. It's it's just the only, you know it's it's one of those films where everyone's having a good time except you. You know when you watch it, they're, they're all loving it. They're all having a whale of a time filming this. You know you can tell, right? Johnny Depp's walking around going, "Oh, darling," like this. It's just like I'm sitting there going, "Why? Why don't I leave? Why? Why am I watching this? Why am I still here?" I can't describe it. It's not. It's not terrible. It's not offensive. It's not like the worst thing I've ever seen. It's fairly decently put together. You know, it, it, David Cope tries to inject it with some fun and and everything, but it just doesn't work. It's just really, 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 really unfunny and irritating. And Johnny Depp. <sighs> It's as if he's, he's, he's made, you know, he, he, he's trying to make these serious films occasionally, but they are what this is, but like, you know, he's done The Rum Diary a few years ago, and I think The Tourist was, was trying to oh. be good, and it's almost like, <laughs> sorry, 
He's trying to be good. Nobody <laughs> liked them. Nobody likes them. So he's just got fuck it. Why? Why do I bother trying to make a decent film? So I'm just gonna make shit from now. That, well, yeah, I, I, I think that's what he's doing. He needs. He, he's he's in that period where that Steve Martin was in. When Steve Martin was in like the the mid. Well, you could be honest. You argue he's still in it. Really, the mid nineties to the noughties when he's making things like Cheaper by the Dozen Two and Bringing Down the House and you know Sergeant Bilko and all this and he's making absolute shit after shit after shit and, and everyone's going do you remember when he made The Jerk? remember when he made The Man With Two Brains? This, what, what happened to this guy? and you're now at the point where you're going with Johnny Depp do you remember when he made Edward Scissorhands? do you remember when he made Ed Wood, Ed Wood Donny Brasco all, the, all these films do you remember that Johnny Depp? and now it's like what, where did he go? Because he should now be maturing into, you know, he's at last he's starting to look his age. At last he's starting to get a bit lined and middle aged, and I like that because he, he can he can naturally sort of he could naturally sort of grow into this, you know, quite talented middle aged performer. But he needs he needs a Bowfinger. I, I thought I thought Bowfinger was the one where Steve Martin reminded me why he was great and why he was funny. I love Bowfinger. I thought it was very good. Johnny Depp needs something like that now. He needs a really well written, genuinely funny part that suits him perfectly, where he just doesn't mug at the camera for an hour and a half. You know, I mean, the worst thing he can do is make another pirates film, which is exactly what he's going to do. Because well, what I think he needs to do is, I think he, needs, he can keep making this crap, but just do it under the name of Jack Sparrow, because <laughs> yeah. he's basically playing is that character. Oh, I don't know. What, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought it, you know. He, he was just bored in transcendent, Transcendence. So were we. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we bloody well just, were. Quite a lot of the Johnny Depp ones on paper sound like they could be quite good. Yes. They're just not. <laughs> exactly. And Mordecai's exactly that. Mordecai, when you, re- when you read that synopsis out earlier, that's, that's a good film. That is a good <laughs> film in the making. And they royally, royally fucked it up. And it, yeah. and it, it, it is genuinely, genuinely at such a misfire of, of proportions that you know it's hard you, you can't really grasp until you watch it it is, it is it's not a terrible terrible film it isn't I'm not I'm not basically what I'm saying is I, I'm one of these people who if you tell me something is grade Z awful troll 2 levels are bad the room I will lap it up right we're not talking that we're talking about something that's just just rubbish and it isn't even worth seeing rubbish that's that's the point, and if anything, those films are worse. So there's one film not to go watch this week is Mordecai. Oh hell you yes! Might want to go watch. <laughs> you might want to go watch a most violent year. I understand you and your men have a job to do here, but we're in the middle of a ten-year-old's birthday party. I'm sorry, but we are coming in. That's not a problem. We have nothing to hide from you. My husband is a good man. Don't mistake his honesty for weakness. He deserves respect. Very disrespectful. I run a fair and clean business, and I will fight to my last breath to prove that. These are dangerous times, and we have to adapt. It's not like when we was driving. There were more murders and rapes in this city last year than there have ever been, so if you've come to tell me that we have an urgent security issue here, trust me, I'm aware. Can't continue. You're we're here. It's been two years since you started investigating my industry. Do you have any idea who's been doing this to us? Or you may be doing something to bring this on yourself. I have always taken the path that is most right. The result is never in question for me. 
Just what path do you take to get there? The most violent year is directed by J.C. Chandler, who did the fantastic All Is Lost last year, as well as Margin Call a few years ago. A most violent year is a crime drama set in New York City during the winter of 1981, statistically one of the most violent years in the city's history, and centred on the lives of the immigrant and his family trying to expand their business and capitalise on opportunities as the rampant violence, decay and corruption of the day drag them in and threaten to destroy all they have built. Sounds a barrel of laughs. Yeah. <laughs> is it a barrel of laughs? Um, not at all. Um, it's, it's um, a really, really, I found it a really, really engrossing slow burn thriller. One of the things I really enjoyed about it is it's, it, it comes off like it sounds like it would be a gangster movie, but it's not. But there's elements of, you know, elements of, of the gangster genre in there. One of the things I really, you know, the trailer sets itself up to be it sets itself up in a certain way and it sets certain characters in a certain way and then when you watch the film watch it play out you realise how dangerous other characters can be in terms of the stakes and one of the things I really enjoy about it is it's dated back to 1981 the stakes are quite high in what's going on and the idea of one immigrant trying to be a legitimate businessman in the 80s in New York and just the the constant pressure he's finding from the law, the constant pressure he's finding from his his own family and his wife, and the constant pressure he's finding from everyone else who's playing dirty while he's doing his best not to play dirty. Now, it's for me today. I mean, I I, I watched it earlier this morning, and today it's kind of like the Oscar Isaac um, day for me. I don't know what it is. It's just him, that him in that, and um, Ex Machina, and he's really good in this. If Ex Machina is him going a little bit crazy, this is him trying to just on constant repressing and pushing down all all his baser urges. This is him trying to fight with the fact that his his masculinity is being put into doubt because he's not wanting to engage in violence when everyone else around him is um, it's this wonderful wonderful film which kind of is juxtaposed with all this kind of warm cinematography apart from obviously when it's, there's some snow in certain scenes but there's this really golden tinge to, uh, to a lot of the, the cinematography it looks almost like it should be set in the 70s it's got a kind of James Gray thing going but it's generally just this really hard, slow-boiled movie where, you know, he's he's playing off really well-affirmed David Aiello, who's also having a good year with Selma, and uh, Jessica Chastain, who is brilliant in this. She's got this really vampy look to her. And, you know, I, I won't say too much, but the more you find out about her, the more intriguing the film gets and the more worrisome everything gets because of everything that's going on it's one of the films where the the money that is at stake and the livelihoods that are at stake doesn't seem like it's that much because it's quite self-contained and most the most of the bigger films in nowadays are all about saving the world but there's something so so engrossing to see how the tension is just ratcheted like in every scene and it just builds up slow and it builds up slow it's almost like the remains of the day of, of crime dramas and just <laughs> the idea of holding everything in and keeping everything 
so repressed and and still and just allowing everything just to sit it's really I, I really enjoyed it I, I really enjoyed the cinematography of it I really enjoyed the look of it it's this film that uses space really well you have characters situated by all this negative space so it's you know everything looks a little bit incomplete or they're covered in shadow when everything's just a little bit shady and I'm looking back at it now as I'm talking about it and I realise there's moments where people are shot in complete shadow and darkness and when you when the revelation comes later you look back at when they were shot in this darkness and you're like that's that's very interesting it's it's smart like that and it's it's just generally a really absorbing piece it's going to kind of just kind of lose out in January I think it's going to struggle with everything else vying for awards and vying for everything when this kind of small film kind of pops out you know really well directed really um, nicely put together it hasn't got you know the dialogue isn't really really sharp in terms of you know it's not punchy punchy dialogue but you know the screenplay really works it's got this fantastic notion that nobody is going to get away from this clean and everyone has to get their hands dirty you know it's, it's just that kind of movie it's you know if you're into something like Killing Me Softly Killing Them Softly sorry or um, like James Gray's We Are The Night We Own The Night I think you'll get a lot out of it because it's not an out and out loud I'm a gangster movie it's a sort of quiet crime drama where you know you just doubt everyone's intentions and reasons behind everything and even now I'm looking back and the the final moments of the film just has just a little speech by David Aiello just a little just a little conversation and the conversation is is interesting just just the way it goes goes in there like I said like I said earlier nothing is um, apolitical and just what is said at at that moment and what transpires before then as well it's very very interesting and it's really really illuminating and it's one of those films where if you've seen the poster it's a shot it's a bullet hole and um, black liquid is coming out of it and once you find out where why that poster and why that that moment is taken once again it goes into the whole idea of it being you know quite political and you know it's got a little bit of intrigue in there but it's also really timely as well i mean it deals with um how we deal with aggression how we deal with should we deal with aggression with more aggression should we have our eye for an eye for an eye it deals with everything that american sniper says it's dealing with but doesn't it's just generally really absorbing piece. I really enjoyed it. You said obviously that it's, it's a shame it's going to get lost in January, but actually that's that's something that Chandor has, has actually done within the last few years. You know, again, um, All Is Lost, which was released uh, about the same time um, in 2013, it will it was released December January, so again it got lost. Then did get nominated, I think, um, for, for something like sound or something but it, it didn't actually get any major award buzz and it, it got lost and I remember the screening I went to of all this lost and I was the only person watching it and Margin Call very much the same again was released in January it's not one I saw for a few years I think but it, it, it was one of my favourite films of that year and I, 
uh, it's almost like he doesn't want anyone to see his films, which is, <laughs> which is, is, is obviously a strange thing to say. It's almost like he's quite happy. You know, if it doesn't win an award or it doesn't get nominated for anything, then actually that is almost a better film for it. Um, something that people will hopefully, you know, see and watch in you know a few years' time, and and then it, that's how it will get its you know its recognition is through, is through people watching it through DVD sales and, and stuff like that. Even though obviously all the things are Blu-rays now. And it, it does seem like he's very, you know, I've not seen this one yet, but I saw, I saw all the, you know, his other films so far, and it's all about the performances. It's all, it's all about the characters and you know, performances the actors give, and, and Chastain particularly has been um, applauded for this film by, by critics, and you know, it says that she gives one of probably her strongest performance, you know, of her career, and this is from someone that was in, you know, Zero Dark Thirty and oh, what was Tree of Life. Tree of Life. Tree of Life. Yeah. That's the one. You know, in someone that's already given, you know, some fantastic performances, and there are people saying that so far this this is a performance of her career, and it, I guess it is a shame that people aren't going to see it in in the cinema. I really like I, I really like Chastain in it, um, and it's also one of those things where I like Chastain in it not because I kind of fancy her, <laughs> uh, not to be completely rude um, and, and 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 sexist there, but it's one of those things where she is this, this sort of stunning woman. And you know she just shows she shows time and time again how good she is an actress every time. Like, um, and here I'm not entirely sure if it's her best performance, but it is one that also sh- that shows that she's really you know she's really capable of getting hold of these complex women and you know doing really good work with them. Right. So would you say that's your favourite film of the week, or well? Well, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because at the start, like start of the month, I kind of I went to London to watch Whiplash, and I was like, "That's amazing! It's so exhilarating! It's brilliant!" Is you know, kind of oh wow. And then I came today, and I'm 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 really in two minds between Ex Machina and uh, A Most Violent Year, just in terms of they bring some really interesting things to the table. They both have really really strong female performances that of course will kind of get lost I think with the most violent year that's the one I can't wait to kind of re- re-watch as a double bill with Killing Them Softly just to see how they play with you know their settings and stuff like that I mean I'm, I'm a big advocate of Killing Them Softly I think it's short sharp and I think it's um, a, a, that it, it hits really, it hits really hard, especially that those last moments with Brad Pitt, and I think it's the same here. Well, you know, I think they both films really do well with how the economy dictates everything that these people do, <laughs> and that's really scary. You know, it's statistically a, 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 the most, you know, it's called the most violent year, and it's statistically one of the most violent years and you know if any you know if, when people do their history everyone knows that in the 80s they had a, a terrible time in New York in terms of crime and you know now it's less and there's a lot of what people are saying is gentrification and everything else like that and people are moving moving along and money's being spread around everywhere and you see less of that and I think that's the most interesting thing that you have a film that's looking back at it and going, yeah, well, this is kind of what was kind of going on here, even though it's not really, you know, it's a kind of piece of historical fiction there. And I think there's so much to unpack in those two hours. I think that's the one 
currently that I'll be looking at again and again and again. But I know what I'm like. I say that and at the end of the year, it'll be you know ten different movies that <laughs> I really like. So you know that's just me. <laughs> um, so that's three very strong films this week, and one not so strong film uh, that we <laughs> we won't mention. That's pretty uh, so mildly. <laughs> so we've got three definitely to go see there. Me and Tony will be back next week. Um, you can find us all on Twitter. Um, I'm at Dan Thomas Taylor. Uh, Tony is at, at Black Hole Writer and Leslie's at, at Afro Film Viewer. You can also find the Black Hole on Facebook. Uh, there's a page, Black Hole Cinema, if you want to go give us a like. Um, until then, we'll see you next week. It's bye from me and bye from Leslie. Goodbye. And bye from Tony Black. See you soon. Oh, in fact, no, I'll do that as Mordecai. See you soon. Ooh. <laughs>